Welcome to this podcast series, Magic and Mayhem, Discover the Secrets to Creating Magnificent Books for Kids and Teens. Magic and Mayhem is a free podcast and ebook series brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre. My name's Valerie Koo, I'm founder of the centre. If you're interested in writing for kids and teens, join us on a journey that's set to inspire and enhance your own writing skills. Download your free Magic and Mayhem ebook, which has lots of wonderful information and tips on how to write for kids and teens at magicandmayhem.com.au. That's magicandmayhem.com.au. This episode, we're talking to Belinda Murrell. Belinda is a best-selling and internationally published children's author. She has written more than 20 books, including the Sun Sword Fantasy Trilogy and the Lulu Bell series for younger readers. Belinda's Time Slip series is a super popular series and has been shortlisted for numerous awards. When Belinda spoke to Alison Tate from the Australian Writers' Centre, she was just working on a new series. You'll hear her mention that it's in the very early stages. Well, a bit of time has passed and that series is out now. In fact, Pippa's Island is already up to book five. We always talk about how slow the publishing world is, but sometimes it just zips by. So let's jump in and enjoy. Belinda Morell is a best-selling, internationally published children's author with a legion of loyal fans and a history of writing in her family that spans over 200 years. Her 21 books include the Sunsword Fantasy Trilogy, as well as a newly released Lulu Bell series for younger readers. She's also known for her collection of time-slip tales, including The Sequin Star, The River Charm, The Locket of Dreams, The Forgotten Pearl, and others which have been re- recognised rather through a host of awards. Her new book, The Lost Sapphire, is her latest time-slip tale and has come out only in the last week or so, I believe. Yes, Monday. Monday, there you go. Yes. We're all over it. Um, all right, so welcome to the program, Belinda. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much, Alison. I'm really excited about it. All right, so let's start right back at the beginning. The yes. first book that you had published was, I believe, the first book in the Sunsword Fantasy Trilogy. How did That's that come right. about? Well, I had been working on that book for about two years and I actually wrote it for my own children. So I've got three kids and uh, they were in primary school at the time and they were voracious readers and they loved fantasy adventure. And so I sat down and wrote that book for them. And when I'd finished it, I thought I'd be very, very brave and I'd send it off to Random House. And I was just (laughs) absolutely delighted when a few weeks later... Um, my publisher rang me, Zoe Walton rang me from Random House and said, Belinda, how do you feel about signing a three-book deal? <laughs> and of course, I was over the moon and <laughs> delirious with excitement. As you would be. And then you had yes. to write the other two. <laughs> yes, that's right. But um, And it took me, I had to do it a lot faster than the two years it took me to write the first one, of mm. course. So um, that's when I decided to give up my um, day job as a, a freelance journalist and travel writer and just focus on writing children's books full-time, and I've been doing that ever since. Wow, so you actually, like, right from the start, you were like, I'm just going to do this. Yes. Okay. It had been a dream that I'd had for ages, and I thought my accountant thought I was insane mm. uh, because I was giving up a, you know, really a well-paid um, job, but I thought, if I don't give this a really good crack now, I might regret it for the rest of my life and I didn't want to waste the opportunity and I thought I can always go back to what I was doing before but I just really wanted to um, give it a good shot. And what made you think I can write a fantasy novel? Like what made you think I'm going to sit down and write my kids a book? Well it's a bit funny because I do come from an unusual family Mm -hmm. so I obviously come from a family of writers. There's 
um, in my family I've had writers for generations and my brother and sister are both um, published, award-winning, internationally published authors and so I kind of went, oh, you know, what, what, what could be hard about it? So, <laughs> what could be hard? I exactly. Right so um, I just so I just sat down and did it. So, yes, I was um, probably quite unusual in that way, but I guess I just had that sort of family, you know, books had been in my family for such a long time and I'd been a writer, I'd been working as a journalist and a technical writer for years, so it's not like I was starting from scratch. Okay. So you began writing fantasy. Where did you go from there? Did you go to your time slip tales after that? Yes, I did. So I wrote the three books in the Sunsword trilogy and they did really well and they were released in America, which was fantastic, and um, they were bestsellers, which was great. And so Random House said to me, fantastic, Belinda, what's your next book going to be? And it was actually, my first time slip book was a book I'd actually started writing probably a few years before that and I'd started and it was a bit hard. So I'd, I put it away in the bottom drawer and it was kind of collecting dust there. So when... I was trying to think what my next project would be. I got this manuscript out, dusted it off and read it again. And I was really intrigued by this whole idea of, of time, slipping back in time and the links between the past and the present and things like that. So um, I wrote The Locket of Dreams and that was the first book in my time slip series and, and that did really, really well and was shortlisted for lots of awards and I started getting all these letters from kids and uh, I just decided there was obviously I'd struck some chord with children with this particular idea of time slip, so I decided I was going to write a couple more and sort of make it like a series, but each book was standalone with different characters and different period of history. Oh. And so that that was kind of how I started writing the time slip books. Okay, so she sort of realised right from the beginning once you got such a great response to them that they would be like a thing for you, that this was something yes. you'd go on with. Okay. Yes, I think so. I think it was just um, the letters I got were just so passionate from these girls just saying I love this I love it and it's I've never read anything like this and can, you know can you please write more books like this so it was this so while I had lots of kids that loved the Sunsword trilogy and it went well I didn't get quite that sort of impassioned response that I, I got from my time slip books and I still get now wow okay so tell us about the latest one the lost sapphire how does what's the basic premise and how does it work Oh, The Lost Sapphire. So it's the seventh book in my time slip series and it's set in the modern day um, period and also back in 1922. Mm -hmm. So in the modern day period, it's about a girl called Marley and Marley's gone down to Melbourne to spend the summer with her dad very reluctantly because her mum's had to go overseas for business and she's desperately missing all her friends back home. And so Marley's down in Melbourne feeling rather sorry for herself. But then she discovers this intriguing mystery and her family's about to inherit this grand abandoned old mansion called Riversley on the banks of the Yarra River and she becomes quite fascinated with this kind of this mystery and the secrets of the house and she sets out to try and solve solve those mysteries and she meets a, a boy who has his own links to Riversley and so the two of them sort of work together to to sort of um, sleuth the mysteries of the past and then back in 1922, it's about a 15-year-old girl called Violet Hamilton and her family is incredibly wealthy and they live at Riversley and she has this life of luxury with extravagant balls and picnics and boating parties. Um, but over one summer, she sort of, um, I guess she grows up and, and tries to find out what's important to her and she has all these um, new ideas about, about women and about society and about culture and um, the, the, the differences between the very wealthy and the, and the very poor and so the 1920 section is all about herself discovering herself and who will her sister choose to marry and what will Violet do to change her world. 
And she also, um, they have an army of servants that look after them, and one of them is this young um, Russian chauffeur called Nikolai. Oh. And Nikolai has this sort of breathtaking secret that Violet needs to discover. So Gosh. it's all sort of about family secrets and mysteries and, um, and, and the secret of the lost sapphire ring. So that's where the title comes from. So when you set out to write a story like that, do you start with the historic angle or do you start with the contemporary tale? Do you start with the character? Like, where do you begin? Uh, it, it's sort of a very slow, evolving process for me. So I start partly with a time in history that I'm really intrigued by, and but also the setting. I used to be a travel writer, so I think the setting's really important to me. Mm. And I was first obsessed with this idea of... Um, abandoned houses and I came across a couple you know how when you're writing something and then these things seem to crop up all the time just because you're thinking about them and this series of abandoned houses and it was also this link to the secret garden which is a book I loved as a child and I was Mm. talking about with my publisher this idea of these beautiful old classic books that that kids still seem to really love today even though they're they're very old so this idea of discovering a secret garden so they were the two ideas I started with so it was all about the setting and then I started to think about the characters and um and it slowly evolved over many months of research and I I don't know why but I decided 1920s was the time I wanted to set my historical period because I think it was post-World War One, and there was just so many changes going on and this idea of the grand old aristocracy of Melbourne living on one side of the Yarra River and just across on the other side of the Yarra River were the slums of Richmond and it was literally a bridge apart and um, so to me that was just a fascinating again the setting and then what was happening in the 1920s that then um, kind of I guess my characters created from were created from there because I wanted to have a, a young girl who was really not just accepting of, of the way things had always been, but was really questioning um, what was fair and wanting to change her world and um, how she set about doing that. And so Violet Hamilton is a character I really, really love because she's so, you know, sort of passionate and determined and, and um, quite intriguing. So how do you research the historic stuff? Are you, you know, in the library going through dusty old books or are you Googling? Well, what do you do? Uh, Google, you've got to love Google. Oh, do you got, love I don't Google? know how anyone, well, I know how they researched it before, but it's, um, I use Trove a lot, which is the National oh, yeah. Library and they've got all these newspapers online there. Um, I get lots of books and I, I search for books, read lots of memoirs, um, letters, magazine articles, newspaper articles. The social pages of the 1920s, I just spent hours reading all the social pages and finding out what, who was doing what and where and when. And it was just fascinating. Um, so that's how I start with my research. And of course, being historical, there is a lot of research because even things like the day, the day that it was a full moon, I had to make sure that when I was writing my scene on that day, that there was a full moon, if that's what, what there was on that date back in 1922. So I am very, um, I try yeah, to be very meticulous details. with my research. Yes. Would you get letters about that if you didn't? Oh, absolutely. I've had, really? <laughs> I've had letters from teacher librarians saying, were egg beaters even invented in 1895? And I've had to email back and say, yes, they were invented in 1877 and or whatever <sighs> year it was. And, and of course, you know, that I've been to historic kitchens to see and I've cooked in um, I've cooked in old Argo fuel stoves and, and things like that to just sort of make sure that my process is, is sort of as accurate as possible. Not that I want to beat kids over the head with historical detail, but just so that I know it's right. So you obviously enjoy the research, like it's clearly yeah. a thing that you that you like to do, but um, how do you know when you've done enough research? 
Uh, I think when my question. deadline starts looming and my <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, oh, I'll never finish this book if I don't start writing. But I do feel that sometimes when I try to write earlier in the process, I find it very hard to write because I don't know enough about my characters and I don't know enough about my setting. And so I think that as I do that research, my setting comes alive, my characters come alive. And, um, and so I know that that's when it's time to start writing because it just becomes, you know, I know their stories by then, but it does take me... It does take me quite a long time to actually get inside that world so thoroughly that I know what's happening. It's interesting. So you're really like absorbing the world, aren't you? You're sort of putting yourself right into it before, yes. you, before you start. Okay. Yes. So, so is, that, that, is that what you would, I mean, your writing process? Are you, because um, I know your sister Kate is a very world-renowned plotter of enormous proportion. Are you also that? Are you planning your stories out in advance? So, you know, in, yes. Okay. Yes, I think so because I think the way that I work with my publisher, which I think uh, many authors do but not all do, um, is that I actually have to see, I have to present um, a pitch to my publisher and I sign a contract based on my three-page synopsis. So to pitch that, I need to know the beginning, the middle and the ending of my story. I need to right. know my setting and I yeah. need to know my characters. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't get my advance. Mm. So um, I think that when... when and that's how my publisher likes to work. They, they plan a year or so ahead and they sign you up for multiple contracts. So they need to know what I'm working on and they need to be happy with that and approve that. And so I know some authors just sort of write their book and then they go out to see where they can sell it or, or that they show it to their favourite publisher when it's finished. But for me and for Kate, um, it's all done. It has to be all planned out before you start writing because... Mm. Um, the contract signed so you know months before I actually start writing the book. So mm. it's um, it's important to be able to plan really thoroughly because you've got to have it. it it's got to sound like a fabulous book in three pages rather than, and you haven't written it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this random idea. Yes. Um, <laughs> do you write every day? Are you? I try to write every day, and but I have different patterns throughout the year. So I have um, just the way it works with the marketing. So I tend to have. Uh, my major book normally comes out around now, which is May, around the time of the Sydney Writers' Festival and, and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So at this time of year, I have lots of touring, lots of events, lots of school visits, bookstore events and things like that. So I'd, I'd be doing that um, a lot of the time and it's a lot of tripping away from home and it's a lot of weekend work because you're in the bookstores doing signings on Saturdays or launch events or whatever it might be. So I try to write at this time, but my head is really not... Um, really into the writing at that point and then of course later in the year we have book week which is when as a children's writer you just booked up for weeks doing school visits around um book week which is fantastic because it gives you a chance to get out there into the schools and meet the kids and talk to them about what they love and it also is a really you know great source of income as well to be um earning the money from all the school visits and then there's odd festivals and things during the year and so um then around those kind of marketing waves um, then I set aside dedicated time for writing where I just try to focus really hard on, um, on, on actually writing. So I think I try to do the, the, a lot of the research, say, around the time a book's coming out because it's easy for me to read or um, take notes or whatever while I'm actually doing all those events. You read on planes or in oh, airports. Sense, yeah. um, and then um, I have some time that I set aside where I just try really hard um, certain months where I go, these are writing months and I try not to do too many events in that in that particular time 
and um, and then I love the summer because I tend to have the kids on school holidays and I take a pile of books to the beach and read a lot and relax and spend time with the kids and do things, but I'm still thinking about um, the projects that I've got coming up. So, yeah, so it's just kind of like, you know, very much a yearly uh, routine as well as a, a daily or a weekly routine. So you still have, um, you've still got obviously kids at school if you're looking at school holidays and things like yeah. that. Are you, so are you, are you still, um, do you still feel like you're kind of writing around them as well? I mean, is, is sort of yeah. fitting in family, children, you know, writing. Is, do, you, do you find that a juggle? Like how do you manage all that? Oh, it is a juggle and it's hard sometimes because, for example, this week's Sydney Writers Festival week, the big glamorous opening party and I had to choose between going to the big glamorous cocktail party down at the wharf with all the lights and all the famous VIPs or coming home and cooking dinner for my son who had exams starting the next day and was feeling a little bit um, oh. a little bit needy and a little bit nervous and whatever. And so I thought, well, the right thing to do is to come home and, um, and give him support through his um, his exams because these are, you know, particularly um, important ones. So, yeah, so it is, it's always been a juggle. And I think when I started out, I used to do school visits within a sort of half-hour radius of home when the yeah. kids are really little, and then an hour, and then, yeah, and then yeah. it's sort of extended from there. But it's a lot easier now that they are older because you can, I can actually, you know, go to... I was up in Armadale and Tamworth for a week a couple of weeks ago. I was in Tasmania earlier in the year. I'm down to Melbourne in a week. I'm down to Tasmania again in a couple of weeks. So um, it's much easier now to do that. But when the kids are younger, I actually did very little travel away. It was mostly just what I could do during school hours. Yes, it's not easy, is it? And did you, were you doing your writing, um, like particularly when you were writing the first book, were yes. you kind of, is, was that like middle of the night stuff that you yes, were Yes, it was very much when the kids were asleep. So, you know, I'd, I'd have my day job and I'd, you know, do all the kids' stuff um, outside their school hours or their preschool hours and then I'd tuck them up into bed and send them off nice and early and then I could get, <laughs> sit at my computer and, and, um, and just write for as long as I could keep my eyes open. All right, so as we've just discussed, you do a lot of school visits, workshops and yes. other presenting work. It's a, it's, it is actually a key part of the job for a children's author, particularly, you know, as, as you say, once the kids get a bit older. Uh, is it something that you enjoy? Like, Do you enjoy doing it? I do. I really enjoy doing it. When I started out, I was a bit nervous, um, but I actually love it. I love the kids' enthusiasm and their passion, and I love... Um, there are, you know, you get out into schools and there are kids that come up to you, you're my favourite author in the world and I'm so excited to meet you. It's been a, my in dream for years to meet you or, or things like that and you're just going, wow, isn't this cool? And um, even kids that have never read any of your books, um, then they get really excited about them and they might write to you afterwards or, or, or whatever it might be. And the other thing that I love is sometimes I get letters from parents after I've been to a school and the parents telling me that actually I've inspired their child, their son or their daughter to, 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 to read my books or to take up reading when they didn't read before. And, and sometimes it's just fascinating to find out the, you know, the ongoing effect of that, how you know, kids' marks go up because they're mm-hmm. suddenly reading more and their comprehension improves and, and things like that. So it's quite amazing when you get these wonderful letters from parents just saying, oh, thank you so much, you've, you know, you've changed my child's life or you changed our life or or whatever it's just so um so incredible and to get that feedback that what you're doing the work that you're doing is actually changing lives is is something that i find incredible 
I find it interesting that you say that you used to be nervous because I've seen you in action and you're like a seasoned professional. Um, <laughs> you just look like you've been, you know, doing it for years. Are yeah. You, is it something, are you, are you always developed, do you have to kind of constantly develop new workshops and things to keep it interesting or do you just have a, kind of a few tried and true favourites that you do all the time? Oh, I think um, it's a mixture of both. Um, I think it's really important to kind of keep changing up so that that it's not boring Mm. so I don't get bored and and that you get to the point where um, it might um, you know you might be doing things over and over again so for example on Saturday I'm doing writing workshops at a local school and I've done them every year for the last four or five years so Mm. there are kids that are coming back and coming back and coming back so obviously you can't be doing the same old same old or they'd Mm. be bored to tears Mm. Um, so you've got to kind of keep it fresh and trying to look for new ways to keep kids engaged and I think that's one of the things I love about working with kids is they don't cut you any slack really (laughs) you've got to (laughs) you really they keep you on your toes because if if the presentation's not good or the workshop's not good they don't you know they they get bored very quickly so you've got to keep them really engaged and so I really enjoy that challenge you can tell by the amount of wiggling going on in the room. Yes, yes, or just... <laughs> How it's travelling, can't you? <laughs> you don't want anyone yawning or <laughs> falling asleep or anything like that. You've got to see them. I love... Sometimes one of my greatest challenges is going into a big um, assembly hall full of boys and girls and you've got kindies to year sixes and mm. you might start talking about Lulu Bell and you see the year six boys start rolling their eyes and going, mm. oh, for goodness sake, and then... Five minutes later, they're all leaning forward in their seat with their mouths hanging open, waiting to hear what you're going to say. And I love sort of seeing that transition with mm. kids when you can actually really suck them in. So what are the three main questions that kids ask you all the time? Like you've done so many of these things now. you must. Still... Oh, yes. They love asking what my favourite book was as a child. Yes. That's one of the things they're all fascinated with every time and someone what, will ask that, and sometimes then? several times. So I always tell them that I loved C.S. Lewis, um, particularly The Lion, The Witch and the Wardrobe, was really inspirational for me as a child. And I loved the way that complete feeling of disappearing into a different world, into the world of Narnia. So that's one of the questions. The other question they always ask is, what is my favourite book of my own? And um, that's always a tricky question because I tend to tell them it's actually whatever the latest book is because that's the one you're obsessed with. So obviously now that's The Lost Sapphire. And the third question, uh, I think often (laughs) they love to ask how much money you make. Mm, That's always a bit popular, yes. How do you respond to that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do this really... um, detailed and long um, explanation of exactly how much of each book an author gets and so I start off with the well you know the book you might be $18 and you know we've got CAC GST and then that goes to the publishing out of that they've got to pay for the printing and the design and the editor and I go on and then by the time the time you get down to the author gets you know 10% or if it's a Lulubel you know um, less than that because I share it with the illustrator and by that stage they're either have their eyes glazed over or they're just going heavens it's just like a little economics lesson <laughs> on the <laughs> what well, I hadn't thought of boring about, them into yeah. submission <laughs> I had never considered that so um, so okay so you've actually got like as you say you've got the Lulu Bell series um, which is sort of more chapter books for younger readers and you've got your time slip books you've got the fantasy um, obviously the Sunsword trilogy is still out there doing it yes thing, it's yeah and it's still going really well which is yeah. fantastic it's 10 years old now so that's um, fantastic that it's still um, still being read and, and still selling well so that's fantastic so how how do you how do you work that publishing schedule in the sense that you're doing, as you say, a, a, you know, the, the Lost Sapphires out in May? 
When the yes. last Lulu Bell was only out not so long ago, I believe. No, that's right, yes. Um, so with the Lulu Bells, um, what I've been doing is actually writing one major book every year for the last 10 years. So mm-hmm. I've, I've got 10 essentially 10 novels out Mm -hmm. and then around that I've been doing smaller projects so Lulubelle um they're they're quite short Mm -hmm. and um so I and I also sort of try to fit those in around um just when I have you know a little bit more time or or whatever so with that series I actually started writing them a couple of years before they came out so that I could sort of get we wanted to bring them out quite quickly, oh, and right. so that gave me the time to sort of work on it. So I worked on it for a year or 18 months before we brought um, the illustrators, Serena Geddes, in. Okay. And then it was very collaborative. We worked, worked together very closely on what the series would be, and um, so that then the, then the books were coming out sort of, I think there was, we've had 13 books out in three years, and um, and then a couple of bind-ups, and I'm even getting my own Lulu Bell watch, Oh, a few weeks. Our target is launching a box set of Lulu Bells with a little wristwatch with a Lulu Bell character on the face. Wow. So I can't wait to see that. That's going to be amazing. So you'll be wearing your Lulu Bell watch with pride. Oh, next time we yes, see a new fashion statement. <laughs> Did you find the process of working with an illustrator to be like? Was that a challenge for you in the sense that you've going to been doing your own just words, words, words all this time? Yes. Was the concept of bringing Serena in was that an, was that a challenge? Yeah, it was very much so because the Lulubelle series is very much based on my own childhood. So it's about a girl growing up in a vet hospital. And so a lot of the adventures are based on things that actually happened to me as a child or things that I've done with my own children. So it's very family-based. And I know from other authors, in fact, I earlier did four picture books um, and I was really disappointed because I had no say in the artist and, and how the art was done. And um, and I was a bit disappointed with them so I was quite nervous about Lulubel because I felt like it was really really important to me and um and Random House was great so I'd written the first four books and then they said we're going to start looking for a an illustrator but they assured me I had the right of refusal so um and so luckily um Serena did some roughs and they weren't quite right the first roughs but you could just see that she just had this beautiful sensitivity and warmth about them that I was really excited about. And so I just loved what she did with the um, illustrations for Lulu Bell. Perfect. Well, that makes it a bit easier, doesn't it? Oh, yes. It's been a joy working with her, absolute joy. And, and I was so nervous when we sort of started the process. So, oh, um, yes, it's I've great. seen you guys do, um, do presentations and things at a couple of things, and it looks like you're having a lovely time together. So that's always you know, such a nice thing for the kids as well to see that, I think. Yes, I think it is, and we do have lots of laughs. And we've done a lot of tours together, so we might be driving around Melbourne doing, visiting lots of schools, and we actually are sitting in the back laughing and saying, oh, wouldn't it be great if we did a Lulubel pyjama party? And then I go, yeah, that's a great idea. And, and so we kind of come up with some ideas together as we're driving around or seeing each other, which is really, um, really fun. That's fun. So, um, so The Lost Safari is obviously out there at the moment. What are you currently working on? Have you started your next thing? I have. So the next thing that I'm working on is a whole new series. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's really important to, you know, to start with fresh projects and while I absolutely adore writing the time slip books I think it's time for a little change of direction and mm. the same with the Lulubelle I love the Lulubelle books but I think it's time now to sort of do something completely fresh wow. so what I'm 
um, working on is a series um, for kids just a bit older than Lulubel. So Lulubel's junior fiction about six to nine years old, so that very early early reader fiction. And so what I want to do is for slightly older kids, sort of about eight to ten, and a series about um, friendship and about um, set around a main a main character and a group of friends and and work from there. So it's in the very very early stages at the moment, but I'm really enjoying sort of a fresh set of characters and a fresh challenge and, and it's quite different writing for different age groups so it's quite um it's quite tricky to get it right. Mm, it would be. All right, so I guess we'll finish up today with our, you know, famous well I you know, I'm calling them famous, they're probably not really famous at all, but um three top tips for aspiring authors. Well my three tips all start with tea. Oh, and I think it's quite clever because it's easy to remember. So writing, of course, is all about talent. And most people who have a lot of passion for writing, of course, do have talent. But mm. that's not enough. Okay. So techniques the next thing, which is just practicing and practicing and practicing and doing workshops and honing your skills and working on your craft. And the third thing, which I think is the most important, is tenacity because... There are so many great writers out there. There's lots of people who can write beautiful stories, but I think to succeed as a writer, you just have to have bucket loads of tenacity, which is the determination just to keep going and to pick yourself up when you get knocked down and to not not be disheartened when things don't quite go your way because I don't think people realise it actually takes years and years and years of writing to actually you know, be good enough to be published. And then when you, once you've been published, it's just the beginning of the journey. It's just still lots and lots of hard, hard work. So lots of tenacity. Have you ever, like just judging our conversation earlier, have you experienced the, you know, the sting and pain of rejection? I think um, I've been incredibly lucky in my publishing journey in that my very first manuscript was picked up mm. straight away and very quickly. And I know that that is very um, upsetting to a lot of other authors who have been trying to get published for years. But I had also been working as a writer for, you know, for years before that. So, you know, I've been writing for newspapers and magazines and I've been writing uh, technical books, textbooks and things like that. So it wasn't an overnight success. I'd I'd been working for decades really on my writing and I started writing when I was eight. So Mm, (laughs) I just have have been writing a long time. (laughs) Yes, and I think over that time I've had my fair share of setbacks and knockbacks and things Mm. like that. And even as a published author, you can get really excited about an idea for a book and then you go and talk to your publisher and they say, oh, you know, Belinda, that sounds great, but actually, you know, what else have you got? (laughs) And so you do... (laughs) You do, but luckily for me, I don't have to write the whole book and get that rejection because of the way I work with my publisher. Yeah. It's, again, I've, I've been working on an idea and I've come up with a three-page synopsis and we're working off that. So mm. if it's not strong enough to sell off the three-page synopsis, then it's, um, you know, then it's back to the drawing board. Mm. Okay. All right, well, thank you so much for your time today, Belinda. We really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with all the um, promotional stuff and the various bits and pieces that you're doing. I hope you find some time in the next month to get some uh, actual writing done. That would be good. And um, yes. yeah, we'll um, look forward to watching your progress and seeing what the new series is all about. Thank you so much, Alison. It was lovely talking to you. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I'm Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, and I'm the internationally published best-selling author of two epic adventure series for kids aged 9+. plus. There are four books in the Mapmaker Chronicles series, Race to the End of the World, Prisoner of the Black Hawk, Breath of the Dragon, and Beyond the Edge of the Map, and two in my latest series, The Adaban Cipher, 
The Book of Secrets and The Book of Answers. Find out more about me and my books at alisontait.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T dot com. Talent, technique and tenacity. I couldn't agree more. Fabulous tips. Are you feeling inspired to write your own series? Children seem to guzzle these stories up and they can't get enough. They're also among the biggest sellers in the publishing industry. So to learn more about writing these types of stories, check out Writing Chapter Books for 6 to 9-year-olds. It's a great course at the Australian Writers' Centre and you can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash chapter. That's writerscentre.com.au slash chapter. Now, Belinda is unusual in that her first manuscript was picked up right away. She hasn't had to bear the stings of rejection that many authors have. But as she said, she was already writing for decades before she sat down to write her first book. I love how Belinda says that she has kids coming up to her, saying they're so excited to meet her, and even better, having parents write to her and say that she inspired their child to start reading. What a wonderful experience to have as an author. For this age group, school visits are so important. We've had a lot of authors talk about how much preparation goes into it, but they really are essential, not just to sell your books, because of course you want to do that too, but also to be a literacy ambassador, to encourage kids to read more. And what better reward than that can you have as an author? If you want to join your own writing community, then the tribe that you're looking for might be at writercentre.com.au where you can go and sign up to our weekly newsletter. That's writerscentre.com.au. And remember, if you hit reply to that weekly newsletter, yes, it's really me getting that response. I'd love to hear from you. <laughs>